slinging the green and gold worldwide on the web at CentexSportsFan.com. This is the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas, the flagship station for Baylor Athletics. With Bears head coach Scott Drew, and I, I don't know about you, I'm pretty nostalgic just thinking about this and the significance of this game. Well, I'm going to uh, wager to say that you come to the Farrell Center several times in January and February on game day. Out <laughs> of habit, so... The John Moore Show is brought to you by Amanda Cunningham, Coldwell Banker Apex Realtor, by Alliance Bank Central Texas, by Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat, your friend in the car business, and by Diamore Fine Jewelers, 4541 West Waco Drive, where Waco gets engaged. What about uh, those two games, Michigan State and Duke? Uh, team got better from, from Michigan State to Duke and probably better after Duke moving forward. Yeah, so, so much uh, to learn and gain from uh, playing two quality opponents on the road, I mean, uh, road environments, and uh, that will really help us come to Big 12 play. Uh, it doesn't help us right now, and you're, you're upset with the loss and the outcome, but um, we are a better team for going through that, and hopefully that pays off in uh, uh, the Big 12 play. And, and again, everything is built and geared toward um, winning the last game of the year. And, uh, to do that, you have to go through uh, success and adversity. And, uh, last undefeated team was, what, 76? So that doesn't really happen too often. So uh, it's how you handle uh, and what you learn from losses and wins uh, that uh, uh, allow you to be successful at the end of the year. Now, from the Alan Samuel Studios, you're listening to the best of the John Moore Show here on ESPN Central Texas, the flagship station for Baylor Athletics. It's the best of the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas. Aaron Sexton in with you on this gorgeous Thursday afternoon, and we've got three great interviews lined up for you as John has the week off for Christmas vacation. We will hear from former Baylor men's basketball head coach Jim Howler. He also does color on ESPN basketball broadcasts, and he's also just one of my favorite people ever. John talks with him about this year's Baylor men's basketball team. We'll hear from former Baylor football All-American Santana Dotson, also a member of the Baylor Athletics Hall of Fame. He was honored at a lunch with the legend earlier this year. We'll hear that conversation. And we start off today with Greg Teffer from Dave Campbell's Texas Football. John was able to talk with him about this year's edition. So here is Greg, the managing editor of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, on the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas. You're listening to the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas. Baylor section, the Big 12, mm-hmm. that's that's where I go to first in the magazine. There's also a really cool page from Greg Tepper. Uh, it's the letter from the editor, which forever has been Dave Campbell right. until Mr. Campbell passed away. Last year in this space, they had uh, a really a tribute to, to Mr. Dave. So mm-hmm. there really wasn't a letter to the editor. But Greg Tepper takes over that role this year. Um, and part of it is, I want to share it with you, uh, Greg says, this magazine is above all else labor of love. When Dave and Reba Campbell and Hollis Biddle launched this magazine in 1960, it was a love letter to football in this state. And while our staff has grown and our content has changed, that core belief a love for the game in this state still informs and drives everything that we do. It's the great gift that Dave left for us, a blueprint by which we get to celebrate Texas football 
and it's one we don't take for granted. This page will never belong to me, it's Dave's forever, but I'm happy to borrow it in a small way to continue his legacy. I genuinely hope you enjoy the 2023 summer edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Most of all, I hope Dave likes it. Isn't that great? That's great. That's great tribute from Greg Tepper to, uh, to Mr. Dave. Back to today's JMO Radio Show from the Allen Samuel Studios. Here's the voice of the Bears, John Morris and Aaron Sexton. Yes, we could continue me reading the magazine to you, or we could visit <laughs> with the man who who wrote those words. Greg Tepper, the uh, managing editor of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, joins us now. And Greg, it is a pleasure to have you on. How are you today? Uh, John, the pleasure's all mine. I always love uh uh, talking to folks back home and the at the at the, the home the foot the, the the spiritual home yes. of the magazine yeah, uh, yeah. Now, oh, we, we office up here in Dallas in the Dallas area now but uh, but Waco's always home for us uh, from Mr Campbell's uh, kitchen table right he and Hollis Biddle that was the beginning and uh, we really appreciate I mean that's why I use that we really appreciate you and your kind words about Mr Dave and I, I just know that there are a lot of us that feel that same way as uh, as you do. Yeah, it, you know, whenever we we put together the magazine, our our number one job is just to do right by Dave. You know, he, he was such a visionary, uh, a guy who who had this idea long before anybody thought to do something like this to have comprehensive coverage of football in the state of Texas. Uh, and, and that that vision is something that has been such a blessing for us, and it's the reason that we're around. And, and because he he had those types of ideas. Uh, of of being inclusive and making sure that we we covered uh, yeah yes we're going to cover the Baylor Bears and and, and the A and M Aggies and the Texas Longhorns but we're also going to con- cover the Groover Greyhounds mm. uh, you know they their football matters too and that was something that was really important to Dave and and it's something that that really does drive what we do here at Dave Campbell's Texas Football uh, to this day and and hopefully forever that's great nobody does it better than you guys and we appreciate it we uh, we always watch for if you're not if we're not a subscriber you know and get it in the mail we watch for you know where are the first magazines and uh i found one uh at the end of last week at, at the texas sports hall of fame i think you were uh william there said you were through waco right through the hall of fame last week uh yeah you know we we, we had uh, magazines there at the hall of fame we have such a special relationship with them because of course that that's such a, a a piece of dave's legacy as well is the texas sports hall of fame and so yeah we we always make sure they get a uh, an early uh, an early copy uh, an early shipment <laughs> of, of magazines so uh, that's a uh, for for our friends down there in Central Texas. That's a, a little a little uh, uh, insider tip that if you're ever looking for the magazine to get it first, if you go check the Hall of Fame, uh, they'll have it uh, pretty much before anybody else. Right. Yep. That's it. We spread that word uh, best <laughs> we can here, and it's absolutely true. What are you? Uh, what are you most proud of when you think about this year's edition of Dave Campbell's Texas Football? You know, the thing that I really come back to, obviously, that there's shifting sands of, of college football across the state. We have to rejigger some things. We had to add four pages for Sam Houston since they're joining the FBS ranks, uh, things like that. So we had to move some things around. But, but uh, you know, the, the things that I think I'm most proud of are probably the main features that we've got in there. The main feature on TCU, Sonny Dykes. Uh, and just the, the remarkable story of him kind of coming into his own. In large part, his uh, his his story is one of uh, he's been defined by who he's not over the course of his career. He's not his dad, who was this big, gregarious, effusive personality, who was the, the king of Lubbock, right? 
Uh, he's not him. Uh, he's not Gary Patterson, the guy who took over. Uh, he took over for. He has to walk by his statue every day he goes to his office. Um, but he he did it his way, and what he did was do something historic, which is take a team from Texas to the college football playoff for the first time in the national championship game. Mike Craven, our senior writer, wrote that piece. I'm, I I really really love it. I've read it three or four times, and, and and I find something new that I love every time. And the Gatefold cover uh, magazine of the magazine uh, features Reginald Samples from Duncanville, uh, a, a guy who is the the ninth winningest coach in Texas high school football history, the winningest black coach in Texas high school football history, and they respect the godfather of black coaches. He's got 23 former assistants that are now head coaches of their wow. own in high yeah. school football ranks. Um, and, but his story is one that's largely been a heartbreak. Uh, I think people remember the famous uh, Hail Mary uh, in 2018. He was on the business end of that one. In 2004, he got his heart ripped out by, by Dallas Lincoln or at Dallas Lincoln by Kilgore. But, but to finally get that state championship, we get an opportunity to tell his story in the magazine and, and that, that kind of tale of redemption uh, to, to get, back, get to the mountaintop. And so I'm really proud of those two main features. Uh, I think that people are really going to enjoy them. That's great. And it's not an accident that the pose you used on the cover of Sunny Dykes uh, is pretty similar to a cover back in 1989, right? Yeah, we, there's there's a, 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 an echo there. I'll yeah, say that. yeah, you know, that's good. You know, uh, Sunny Dykes, of course, Spike or uh, Spike Dykes rather. Sunny Dykes' uh, father was on our cover back in 1990. It's one of my all-time favorite covers because I think it just you know we always want to capture what what the cover subject is about. I don't know if there's a, a photo we've ever taken than the one in 1990 of that big guffaw yeah. from, from Spike Dykes in his in his office, and we wanted to capture that similar have that echo there because that does mean a lot to, to Sonny Dykes, but also uh, to do it his own way, that he is not that big gregarious guy. He's more of a quiet guy. He, he, he's, he's a little bit uh, you know, less uh, less of everybody's best friend and more just kind of a, a thoughtful football guy. Sure, he can get fiery at times, but but we wanted to, to kind of echo that while still making it his own, and, and we thought we did that pretty well. Thanks for that subtle correction. 1990 cover with Spike Dykes and, uh, and now Sonny Dykes on the cover in 2023. Uh, it's interesting, Greg, tell me if you agree, uh, the reach and the power of Texas Football Magazine. Uh, a school like, oh, Nebraska buys a full-page ad right in Texas Football yeah. Magazine. Uh, well, listen, that is kind of – that's the, the coin of the realm now. It's, yeah. It's finding those connections here in the state of Texas. And, and of course, they made some major moves. Matt Rule, you guys are quite sure in his work. And, and, and then he goes out, and to be real honest, he basically copy pastes what he did at Baylor, where whenever he got, you guys remember when he got hired at Baylor, he kind of looked around and, and for, you know, I hate to use this word on the radio, but he was a Yankee, right? Mm, right. He comes, comes down, doesn't have those Texas bona fides. So what does he do? He goes out there and he hires Joey McGuire and he hires David Wetzel, two guys who are beloved in the Texas high school football community. Well, and then he goes up to Nebraska and he says, well, why don't we do the same thing? So he goes and plucks Bob Wager from Arlington Martin, and he goes and hires Susan Elza, uh, the UIL athletic director, uh, to, to kind of head up his Texas bona fides yep. there to yeah. get that recruiting foothold. So, so yeah, there, there is that reach, certainly. And, and, yeah, you know, when we got a call from Lincoln, Nebraska, saying they'd like to buy an ad, we, we thought maybe it was a crank call, but we, we verified it, and, <laughs> and the check cleared, so we're happy to put him in the magazine. That's great. And Garrett McGuire on that staff uh, for Matt Rule also at Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, exactly. Uh, which is a smart move. I mean, a very uh, calculated move by Matt Rule. Uh, I'm always interested in, uh, well, the whole thing, but the state of Texas power pole and the Big 12 power pole, both of which uh, topped by the University of Texas. Uh, Greg, this is the year, right? This is the year. The Longhorns uh, are going to be picked by everybody to win the Big 12 this year. 
Oh, it better be the year. You know, you talk about high expectations uh, for, for the Longhorns in the first year before they head, or last year rather, before they head off uh, to the SEC. And, and I think it's really important for them uh, to go out there and, and prove that they are SEC ready. You know, it's not just, you know, uh, winning, but also the way that they're going to win. You know, this offense does look like they've got an opportunity to be really good with Quinn Ewers uh, back for another uh, another year and, and an outstanding wide receiver core. I think that defense could take another step. But what I think is so interesting about the Big 12 this year is that everybody, I think this is a critical year for everybody, the new teams that are coming in to prove they can belong, the teams that are going to stay around in the Big 12 to prove that, that they are kind of the new alpha in this new look Big 12. I think for Texas and Oklahoma, it's important to prove they can belong. But, but that doesn't take any of the pressure off of these other teams that are going to be in the Big 12 going forward to prove that, yeah, you know what, if they're, they're not going to be a, a, a void at the top. It's our, it's our opportunity. That's, that's our spot. The Texas or OU was just holding it for us. So I think it's really important for, for every team in this, this wild and woolly 14-team Big 12 hunt uh, to, to succeed in 2023. How do you think, Greg, it'll play out uh, when teams play against Texas and against Oklahoma? I mean, I know from a Baylor perspective, you know, you want to beat them. It may be the last mm-hmm. time that we play those guys uh, for a long, long time. I think they're going to throw the kitchen sink at them. Yeah. I, think that, I think that this is going to be – I think for Texas and Oklahoma, uh, there's nothing more that these, that these teams, uh, especially the, you know, the eight teams that are going to be kind of holdovers from the old Big 12 to this new Big 12 – uh, to to go out there and to give them a parting gift, so to, so to speak, and say, you know what, we we can hang and we've got an opportunity to to be this new team. And then furthermore, for these new programs that are joining the Big Twelve, right. uh, an an opportunity for them to say, hey, you know what, uh, we're just your replacement. We're just the team that's going to come in and take your spot as well. So I think for every every conference game, especially that Texas and Oklahoma plays, they are going to get every last bit of that playbook and every last bit of that game plan from the coaching staff, simply because. Uh, it means a lot more than just one game and, and the difference between, say, eight and four and seven and five. Uh, it means it means uh, potentially kind of a culture shifting uh, move moving forward for the next couple of years. Greg Tepper, our guest, managing editor, Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, available right now at uh, at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, interested in a couple, your thoughts on a couple of schools, uh, Joey McGuire in his second year at Texas Tech. What a great first year he had. And then your thoughts on on Baylor looking to uh, really bounce back from a six and seven finish a year ago? Yeah, you know, for Texas Tech, this is a year that they, I think they feel really good uh, moving into the uh, moving into uh, this next year, and that last year was kind of the hop and the skip, and this could be uh, the jump. I think that the expectations are high. They've recruited exceptionally well, and I think that there's an opportunity for the defense to really take take uh, take hold, especially the defensive line guys like Jalen Hutchings and Tony Bradford. I think are going to head up what should be a pretty darn good defensive line. If the linebackers can come around. I think Tech could have one of the most improved defenses in the state. This is a Baylor team that I think is is under a little bit of pressure to win right now. And I'm extremely interested to see uh, if they can get back to their roots. You know, I, I, I think that when you look at what kind of what, what went wrong with Baylor uh, last year, uh, the offense had trouble with that, with just consistency. And I think a lot of it came down to, I think they got mollywhopped on the offensive line by injury uh, and, and they had an opportunity and weren't able to run the ball plain and simple. That's, that's the bread and butter of what this team wants to do. They want to run the ball. Uh, you know, the, the, the quarterback situation is, is important, but, but not as important as that offensive line. And so I think there's a lot of optimism on that offensive line to be able to make some moves. I think that they feel pretty good about what they're going to have up front. And, you know, I, I'm a believer in Richard Reese. I think he is a, 
I think he is an all big, an all conference caliber running back um, when he's got those that kind of protection up front. And so a lot of this game, a lot of this season, I think for the Bears is going to come down to what it did last year, which is ultimately can they run the ball? If they can, that's a, that wide zone scheme is hard to stop when it gets rolling, when it gets going downhill. Uh, you do not want to be in the way. Uh, but last year, they just if too many fits and starts. If they're able to correct that, I think the Bears could be right back towards the top of the Big 12. Yeah, we saw two years ago how well that offense uh, worked, mm. when it's working, how well uh, Baylor plays. Final thought, uh, what about TCU? Second year for Sonny Dykes. Boy, they had a lot of key guys that have moved on. What do you think they can do for an encore? That's what's so fascinating. The team that everybody was talking about last year now has to replace all of those guys that everybody was talking about. You know, Max Duggan uh, is gone. They've got all those outstanding playmakers that are now off to the next level. It's going to be fascinating. You know, Quentin Johnson's gone. Kendra Miller's gone. You know, the Steve Avila and Al- Alan Ali on the offensive line are gone. Uh, a lot of it, everyone's going to focus on quarterback. Chandler Morris, I think, is is up for the task. I think he's got the, he's capable of doing it. But what I'm interested in is seeing how they can replace the big play ability they had on the outside. You know, I, I thought Quentin Johnston was maybe the most important player for them last year, uh, simply because he gave them that that number one go-to threat. Can a guy like JoJo Earl, the transfer from Alabama, step in and be that guy? Could a guy like J.P. Richardson out of out of fourth end, couldn't he be that guy as well? Uh, there's talent on this roster, but there are also a ton of holes to fill. And and what made I think Sonny Dykes' year last year so remarkable was he took all these pieces, kind of mismatched pieces and he made them fit together so perfectly can he do that again and this time can he do it with a huge target on his chest that's what makes 2023 so interesting for for the horn frogs yeah well it's great to visit with you i appreciate your time uh maybe see you in arlington in a couple weeks you'll be there for the big 12 media days we will be there at Fantastic. Big 12 media days and uh and, and checking out the, a little bit of college football because it's about that time it is Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, and great job on this year's magazine. Always uh, always a must to get one as soon as it comes out. Thanks very much, Greg. Thanks so much, John. I right, appreciate it. Greg Tepper, the managing editor, editor for Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Uh, what great work, you know, and we don't. And I told Greg this in a, in a text, uh, a reminder, I work for Baylor, so I won't get into high schools that much, but – you know, we just skim the surface, you know, of the magazine, the things we talked to Greg <laughs> about. I mean, look at all the look at all the pages devoted to the high schools in Texas. It is it really is. It's it's mind boggling the amount of information that yeah, they get into the magazine yeah. every year. And that's that's what makes it the greatest football magazine in the world. Oh, it is great. By far. It you really know, is. It, it's 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 an event when it's released because it's so good, it's so thorough and so informative. And I, I can't wait. To read this year's yep. like I do every year. You know, every once in a while I'll do a spring cleaning or clean out some stuff. You know, do I really need to keep this? And and I'll run across a, a pretty good stock of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. And I think for just a second, <laughs> do I need these? And I think that's a stupid question. I Yeah, you're not throwing those out. No, no, I've kept <laughs> no. them all. I mean, right. I've kept every one that I've ever had. Uh, you know, that doesn't go back that far, but um, I'm not getting rid of those. A lot of them, you know, it used to be great. Mr. Dave would, when the magazine would come out, I think he'd get an early box. He'd come by our athletic department. He'd sign the copy, and it'd be sitting on your desk waiting for you. Nice. Now, how valuable is that? Man, that's so great. Isn't that great? Yeah. So, yeah, just continue to appreciate uh, Mr. Dave Campbell. Happy New Year from the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas the flagship station for Baylor Athletics. 
Welcome back and welcome in now uh, our good friend Jim Haller. And uh, Jim, uh, it's always fun to visit with you anytime, any place, and it's great to have you on with us today. Keep talking. Jim. Yeah, yeah. Ego <laughs> needs feeding, man. I love it. <laughs> Did you, were what you at the. Joy. Hey, I'm just thinking when you said, can you come on? Nobody else in the country gets to talk about uh, on the home station for the only Division One university that has two top ten men and women's teams in the right. whole U.S. That's How right. How cool is that? Nobody oh. else. That's right. I mean, and that is significant. And it's not like the, the men and the women or the women have played, you know, the sisters of the poor. They've played some tough games this year. Oh, both teams. And, I'm, I'm, and the beauty of both of the teams, John, in my opinion, they've got a chance to get better and better and better as the season progresses. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of the potential for both teams. Yeah, I yeah, I think you're right. And uh, how about what well, do you think about it? The men are starting two freshmen of all. Time. Right, it's just in, incredible to me. What do you uh, What do you like best about what you've seen so far from uh, from the men's team and the women's teams? Well, I was at the game last night, and, and I'll tell you, I think most people don't realize how good Seton Hall is. I mean, that's a, a tough physical team from a tough physical conference you had big east officials working that game i mean i thought that was just really really impressive the way they handled the the pesky defense that seton hall kept throwing at them changing defenses uh that game even though baylor's had good wins over auburn and florida and some others that game last night showed me uh, another step in the development that was that was a Big Twelve like game, wasn't it? The way Seton yes. Hall played. Well, very physical, and uh, you know, I, I sat there and I said, normally it's up to the starting five to get the job done. And then, what other programs really have players like Langston Love or Alajawuna? Or I mean, there's depth that's just amazing. And I mean, like right before the half, Langston Love hitting that jump shot, which was perfect execution there in the last seconds it was it was just for basketball fans that was just pure perfection yeah and you as a former coach and uh and now announcer you've got to appreciate that depth you know that both teams have how big is that oh it's huge and and it's it's inevitable there's going to be some as physical as this team plays there's going to be some bumps and bruises and some injuries down the line and Really, you can't see the ball when there's substitutions. And when somebody like, say, Jacoby Walter has an off night like he did against Florida, there's somebody else to step in and get the job done. And last night it really took all of them to, to, to get a hard-earned victory. Yeah, that's true. All right, tell us this, again, from a, a coaching perspective, what's the challenge that's going to face these coaches? You know, you normally, as the season goes on, you kind of shorten your rotation a little bit. But, I mean, there's such quality players on the bench, again, both men and women. You know, how do you manage those minutes? Well, first of all, I think the coaching staff for both the men and women will tell you it's an, it's a luxury they're going to enjoy having. <laughs> but before the end of the year, everybody's going to contribute because, as I say, there will be some injuries, foul outs, somebody has an off night. You know, the, the, the women really have – 
10 players that can contribute, and I think the men are, are in that same situation. And I, I don't get the idea that it's a problem trying to keep everybody happy. I mean, there's, there's, there's no coach that can keep every player happy right. all the time. And I think the beauty of these two teams is all the players understand there are certain players that are going to be needed at certain moments each and every game. And I, I get the impression they're always going to be ready. And that's why I think these both these teams have such great futures the next two or three months of the season. Well, and that's the beauty of these teams, isn't it? That they've got the buy-in from the players, you know, knowing that their minutes may be a little bit shorter, you know, as the game as we move on into the season. But whatever the team needs, whatever the coaches need from them, that's their role on the team. Well, I think from just watching, and I've had the chance to watch some practices and the games, it just appears that every player on each team understands their role and that there's there's – after practicing as many weeks as they have been, these players are smart enough to understand who the starters are, who the top six, seventh players are. If they're eighth or ninth, they understand where their role may be needed against a team that's playing all zone or somebody that needs to step in and can handle the ball against great pressure, full court pressure defenses. There'll be a situation where all of them will be needed. Jim Heller, our guest, uh, Jim, on the women's side and what Nikki Collin has done, finally having a full complement of players. You know, she was just uh, coaching shorthanded last year. But, man, she has got uh, some really good uh, quality depth, like we talked about with the men's team. Uh-huh. Nikki has that as well. Well, when you – we all know their starters have been the same every game. But when you look and you can bring in a, a – a Yaya Felder, for example, at the guard position, or you can bring in a Madison Bartley inside, or you can bring in Bella Fauntleroy, who was first-team all-freshman squad in the Big 12 last year. Those are some really, really quality players, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Nikki Collin now has the type of talent to run her system, and that's why they're in the top ten in the nation. And Just like the men, I think they're going to continue to get better and uh, that win they had that uh, you and I got to do on TV was pretty impressive right. when they beat Utah that night, the number two, uh, number four team in the nation at the time. So they had a good road win last week at SMU, which is a tough place to play, and uh, uh, they're <laughs> they're impressive for. And I think there's a lot of similarities between the Baylor men and the Baylor women. Yeah. They're, they're playing tough, aggressive defense and playing a lot of players. It was fun to see for the women, wasn't it, that their first, uh, what was it, first six games of the year, they had a different leading score <laughs> in every game. Uh, that's pretty unique. That doesn't happen very often. Well, it sure doesn't. And then, of course, the last two ball games, and that win over Oregon, that's a, a great brand to beat by 20 points. And that game in the SMU game, Darianna Littlepage-Bugs, of course, has been the leading scorer and leading rebounder and she's a preseason first team all-conference player she and sarah andrews both but uh, uh they're getting well-balanced production all right jim let me uh, shift gears a little bit on you we've got one game left uh for the women and one game left for the men in the Farrell center now you never coached in the Farrell center but you've been to a ton of games there what are your thoughts as we start to uh kind of wind down the games remaining in the Farrell center 
Well, first of all, it's hard to believe that I never coached a game in there, and it's been open 36 years. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's telling me I'm pretty darn old. Ah. <laughs> but I tell you, I've enjoyed that arena. It's brought a lot of great memories to Baylor fans. And uh, as great as it's been, I am so excited about what the Foster Pavilion can mean, can mean for the future of both of these programs. It's going to be a fantastic home court advantage Fans right down on the floor probably sold out 90% of the games in advance right there on the Brazos River. Uh, I just think it's it's phenomenal. I'm looking forward to that. But uh, the the Farrell Centers have been, been providing many happy moments for a lot of years. But like all things, it's time to say bye-bye and let's go to a new one. <laughs> That's true. And you're, you're so well-connected. What are you hearing from people maybe outside of Waco? that, you know, see the new Foster Pavilion coming up, driving up and down I-35. Uh, what kind of comments have you heard about that? Well, I've heard, I hear comments all the time from people <laughs> from lots of different Division One universities, and, and, and all of them right now say, that is just awesome, driving down I-35 through Waco, and you see the most beautiful football stadium in the state there, and now the most beautiful basketball arena is going to be right there on the river with it. You folks don't know how lucky you are, and that's probably the truth. That is two phenomenal facilities and just beautiful locations. That's pretty cool. It is. It will be a little different, won't it, uh, moving middle of the season like Baylor's doing. I mean, for our teams, you want it to be a home court advantage, but it's a brand-new place for them. They've got to get acclimated there. Well, they sure do, and the fans do too. In fact, I, uh, I just had lunch at the Baylor Club, and I decided to – drive by the new arena and i'm just hoping we don't get any rain between now and january 1st <laughs> right there's still a lot of work to be done around oh, yeah. there so i'm uh, keeping my fingers crossed that we're in there january 2nd for the men and january the 3rd for the women but i'm sure they'll get a couple of workouts in in there and uh, it'll be a, a beautiful sight when they're both playing there yeah very cool all right fun to think about long way from the uh heart of texas coliseum isn't it well, I always thought I was the luckiest guy in the world to coach basketball in the best rodeo arena in America. It was cool. <laughs> well, that was many moons ago. And, oh, man. And, uh, it was a good memory, but this is way better now. This is pretty cool. Hey, great to visit with you. Thank you very much. I will see you soon and uh, continue to enjoy the holidays. I will do that. And thank you to you, John and uh, Aaron. Thanks a bunch. And Merry Christmas to you. You Bye-bye. too, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Jim Haller with us, former uh, coach, former or current uh, analyst, uh, television analyst. Jim, make no mistake about it, he is very connected, very connected in the basketball world and the television world. So around the state and even outside the state, he is very connected. So, you know, when he passes along comments like that, um, you you can take that to the bank. Yeah, and when he's excited – you know yeah. there's reason to be excited. Right. I mean, I knew anyway, but I feel even better about how good I feel about both the men and the women this year. They're, yeah. they're both top five teams, and they both have teams that have a shot to make the Final Four. Yeah, and he's seen, you know, the teams he coached and every team since then, you know, come through uh, Baylor, and so he's got the comparison, you know, of all those teams, including national championship teams. Plus, he really knows radio because as I was – calling him in to get him ready for the segment right he, he said that 
I was the MVP of the station and complimented me on a great, what a great job I was doing. Well, was there like, you well, go. Hey. Yeah. No, but he is always so nice and so positive and I always complimentary. I just, I just love Coach Allard. He's yeah. such a great guy. I love working with him. It's great. Well, and he definitely knows radio if he recognizes your talents. Absolutely. Too, so I don't take good. it as a fluff compliment. That's I take good. it as, hey, all right. That's I good. Like it. Very good. All right. Thanks to Jim. Appreciate him being on with us. Let's take a break. We'll uh, come back, look ahead, share some things with you, share some birthdays with you. Plenty more to come, so stay with us. We are brought to you in part by Pioneer Steel and Pipe, the Pioneer Boys, 2003, South Loop 340 and Highway 6 in Waco. That's their new location, great new location, so much more room to serve you better, but the same great customer service and low prices that customers expect. Tradition and experience serves you at Pioneer Steel and Pipe, they are Central Texas' largest structural steel, pipe, and metal building components distributor. That is Pioneer Steel and Pipe. They're open Monday through Friday, 7.30 to 5, Saturday 8 to noon, 24-7 on the web at pioneerboys.com. Happy New Year from the John Moore Show on ESPN Central Texas, the flagship station for Baylor Athletics. Welcome. Howdy. <laughs> this is not Baylor Stadium, Floyd Casey Stadium. This is no, McLean Stadium. A little different than when you were here. Yes, a lot different, a lot <laughs> different. You know, going back to my first time here, that will go all the way back to let me work on my math here. Carry your seven. That's a one. That's 35 years ago. I came up Highway 6, and it was August the 8th. I remember the date. That's crazy. So I was a 17-year-old freshman, and I remember coming up the same way I came up uh, yesterday, and I'm like, boy, it's hot. You know, and I'm coming up from Houston, and I'm like, it's hot in Houston, but it's really hot, you know, in Waco. So I recall those, uh, we had three-a-days back then. On Floyd Casey Field, that's got to be illegal now, right? Is it? It is. Do they, they even know anymore. what Coach? They even know what three days would be like. <laughs> there would be chaos, right? <laughs> yeah, we had three days. Uh, I remember a lot of Gatorade, a lot of water, and a lot of folks falling out on the field on that turf. Yeah, so it was very different Floyd Casey years. Well, and that was the big difference. Every practice was on turf. Every practice. Right? There at the stadium, you didn't really have an option, did you? Yeah, you had no options. You had no options. You know, And you, you, know, you were young enough to think even you know, at the beginning of my career, every year in college, I played for five years, you know, red shirt in four years. You know, when you're young, you think that stuff makes you real quick. You know, it's like running on turf or running on the carpet, running inside the house. It's real quick, you know. But, you know, that turf, you feel it a lot more three, four days after the game, you know, so it's tougher to get ready, you know, for the next game on the next Saturday. It, it lingers with you for a little while. Great high school career. Yates, uh, man, in their powerhouse. Uh, I think 36-4 and four was your record in high school, 5A state championship in there, highly recruited. How did you end up at Baylor? What was that recruitment process like? You know, um, the recruitment process was I was uh, a high school All-American, so – I took five trips, um, took all my trips at the time. You can only have five and a couple of a couple other trips that are in the Texas area. And uh, I felt like it was my choice. But now as I reflect, you know, thinking back to my dad who played uh, at Grambling um, and also my mom 
who Coach Taft came and sat in her living room with a lot of other coaches. But, you know, they made it sound like it was my choice. But now as I reflect, I'm like, they were kind of guiding me towards Waco. And, you know, I'm a big city kid coming up out of Houston, and I'm like, ah, not, not Waco. And they're like, no, no, but Coach Taft and his staff, they're real charismatic. And, you know, he's a guy that I feel real good about what he's saying, you know. And uh, so sometimes you... I don't want to call it lucky, but sometimes fortune really guides you. So after I made that Baylor decision, it was honestly probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Uh, who, who was your position coach? Was it Coach Robert James? Coach James. Okay. Yeah, and Coach Fredenberg. Now, right. Coach, coach Fredenberg, I've got a lot of, we've got a lot of Pete-isms, Pete Fredenberg, but none of them I could really share with you on a, a platform like this. Um, is he here? I feel like he's here now. He, he might, should be. No, I don't think he is. Yeah, he might take me outside and make me run gassers. If I, <laughs> but I played for some great coaches. Um, you know, Coach Taft was great at being a constant, making sure you're doing everything you were supposed to do on and off the field and inside of the community, the Baylor community. Um, so he was great. Um, Fredenberg was kind of that rowdy uncle that was always, you know, he was always starting something and getting you ready for fisticuffs or the big fight every weekend. He was that type of guy. But both of them were great coaches. You know, and Coach James was that mentor, that guy you knew you could go to if ever you needed anything on the field during the game or away from the field. So it was a great family network, and uh, I couldn't have played for three better coaches. Very cool. And you played with some great guys. I mean, especially on the defensive side. Uh, man, you guys, there were some studs on that, those defensive teams. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, you end up, you know, it's all about mentorship and leading with, by example. And when I first got here, I played with guys like Eugene Hall, um, who also we went to the same high school, uh, named guys like James Francis, Robert Blackman. And we went into a lot of games, you know, uh, knowing that for us to be competitive, um, we we would ha wouldn't, wouldn't be able to give up more than maybe a score or two. You know, we'd have to win games, honestly, 13 to 10 or 9 to 10 or three field goals and get out of there. So it really made for a competitive environment from a defensive standpoint because you knew that you had to protect every blade of grass. You know, you, one misstep could end up you get, having one in a losing column. So it was very important when we went out every Saturday that we really defended the whole 100-yard field, and we played like that. What are some uh, games during your time at Baylor that stand out? Oh, man, so many. Um, one that really stands out, of course, uh, people always talk about the Colorado game, the blocked field goal. Um, for you guys that don't know, Colorado was coming off a national championship. Uh, I believe that we had to go up there and play them. Um, so there was a field goal that I blocked in the fourth quarter that J.J. Joe and offense ends up taking it down and scoring. We won the game. But what sticks out to me more so is I had an injury before that last drive. So Colorado got the ball, and they had one more opportunity. So I had an injury to the, right before the blocked field goal. So I was able to block the field goal, but I was not able to go back in for that last drive. 
And I was going crazy on the sideline because, you know, as a player, you want to be able to affect the outcome of the game. And I felt like I wasn't able to get out there and finish it. So I was so glad that Hafford and Robert, Robin Jones and those guys were able to go complete the task. But when people ask me about that game, I always flash back to me actually being on the sideline that same, that last drive of the game. How about that? Block field goal and ball bounced. I can remember the thump, thump. There were two thumps. Yeah. And then kicking the ball and then bouncing off your forearm. And it bounced all the way back beyond midfield. This guy right here, Brian Hand, is the guy that recovered that ball. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a big win. Jeff Ireland field goal that won it. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Any other games in particular? I mean, it's, it's so many, um, you know, particularly that, that Colorado game. Also, I do recall the fans and the enthusiasm because it was a away game. And then we flew back and there were so many fans that were in the, in the, at the airport to greet us. And uh, you felt like it was a big deal going up there and winning the game. But when that plane landed and being embraced by the Baylor uh, community, it was outstanding. It was outstanding. Very cool. On to the pros. Start at Tampa Bay, Green Bay. Super Bowl, as I said, Super Bowl win with, uh, with Green Bay. How did your Baylor experience prepare you for, for the pros? You know, like I said earlier, I always felt like I was a big city guy. And coming to Waco where I don't think it was about 100,000 people maybe at that right. time. And then I remember doing a... An interview with Sports Illustrated, and you know the question came up with, "Well, what team would you want to play for?" And you know you never have a choice in that matter. But I'm like, if you're going to ask a question, let me answer it. So I'm like, oh yeah, well, really doesn't matter. But I just don't want to go to a small town, like you know, no, no Green Bay or no Buffalo. <laughs> and the opportunity to go to Green Bay and play along the likes of the Reggie Whites, um, Deshaun Jones. Um, we were number one defensively. Um, that was the best choice that I made during my career. So a lot of times I share that with athletes and share that with kids in general because uh, I always say try the spinach. You know, spinach is my favorite vegetable, but I refuse to eat it up until the year of like 13, 14 years old, you know. And then once I tried it, I'm like, oh, it's pretty good. And I compared that Baylor opportunity and the Green Bay opportunity the same way because you, you look at things on the outside and you're like, oh, no, nah, it wouldn't work for me. I don't think it'll work. And then as we reflect, you're like, man, that was the best decision that I made. So I always tell kids, try the spinach, you know, try the spinach. So, I mean, the two cities are a lot alike. Um, they're family atmospheres. They're community driven. They appreciate their teams and their athletes, and they love football. So, you know, as an athlete, as somebody that's a professional athlete or a collegiate athlete, who could ask for anything more than being appreciated when you're in that arena? Uh, what was that Super Bowl season like? I mean, th a lot of things have to go right, don't they, to win a Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things have to go right. Um, and that year they did go right, you know. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is I played in two Super Bowls and I was able to win a Super Bowl and lose a Super Bowl. And as an athlete, as a professional athlete, the Super Bowl we won in New Orleans, which is my original hometown, I just see flashes. You know, I remember the, the, the lights flash and the fireworks going off, a play here, a sack in the fourth quarter, things like that. But the Super Bowl we lost, 
I remember every play of that Super Bowl. You know, so as a true player and somebody that wants to master their craft, I think most times we're shaped on the losses and trying to make sure we never go to that valley again. You know, and you start understanding why football is the number one sport and most watched because you don't get seven times to do it, you know, like basketball or, or baseball. You know, typically in a seven-game series, your best team is going to end up finding a way to win that game. Football is different because you've got 60 minutes to figure it out and a halftime to adjust and go back out and try to fix things. And so it makes the viewer tune in because they like to be able to reflect and say, hey, you got 60 minutes to find a way and figure it out. You know, so I think that's really the reason that people really love the sport of football and really tune in on a weekly basis. You've uh, you got a little broadcasting uh, in your uh, post-playing career. Uh, you like that? Where do you think that might lead? It's fun, John. I mean, you, you taught me well, you know, all the interviews that we did around the way. Um, you know, broadcasting is great. Um, I've got one of the longest-running uh, shows in the Wisconsin market uh, as far as a Packer Rand show. And I say it's great because you're never wrong. Because even when you're wrong... You get to bounce back the next day and say, well, this is why I was wrong. And if they would have done this, I would have been right. Right? So Life in the media. Yeah, life in right. the media is great. You know, it's almost like being that weatherman. Like, it's going to rain, but it didn't rain. Well, here's why it didn't rain, because we got the high pressure. But if that high pressure wasn't there, we'd be all right. Right. That's good. <laughs> I like that philosophy. And who's going to argue with you anyway, you know, if you are wrong? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Would you like to uh, expand that, maybe do some, uh, you know, NFL TV games? Uh, you know, I think it's, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing a little bit of TV. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's being in that realm of uh, with like-minded people and enjoying the sport. Um, this is a game that I've been involved with since Little League when I was seven, eight years old. And, you know, the fact that I've gone to, I think, four out of seven continents and been able to talk on behalf of football and camp and camps and mentoring and radio shows and being asked to come speak to groups of people. A lot of times I reflect and I'm just floored by it because, you know, again, it goes back to that decision you make at 17 years old that said, OK, this is going to be the next logical step, you know, and as long as you're pouring into it. Things have typically always worked well for me and like-minded people. Nice. Very good. You had a daughter that came through Baylor and ran track here. What was that experience like for her and for you being the father of a student athlete? Okay. Now, that's, I've got four. I've got a boy and three girls. So, Amani, who was here doing track, was my first, she's my oldest daughter. And I'm proud of all my kids. She's, um, she has gotten her master's from Sam Houston. She got an undergrad in psychology here at Baylor, and um, she's up and working and almost out of my financial pockets. You know, dads, we, you, can, you can relate. Moms can relate, too. So she's almost out of my pocket. But, you know, going back to it, like, they were always here. They were up in the suites um, as, after I retired and came back to Baylor for games. So they enjoyed it. Always she still talks about Dr. Pepper floats and all that uh, that she set up there and drank and ate with the, the president at the time. So she was my kid that was always 
what do you want to do this weekend? I'll just read a book or two, you know. I'm like, read a book? Like, I'm telling, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, look, we need a DNA test because <laughs> she, she can't be mine, right? She, she wants to read all weekend, right? But, you know, that, that's what she does now. She works at Rice University in Houston, and she, she works in their R&D department, and she is enjoying life. So, uh, you know, but she is the kid that always didn't mind the reading. She threw, she was a thrower here at Baylor. And uh, she enjoyed her four years here, definitely. And we got her out in four years. So that was my rule. You got four years to figure it out, then you're going to start paying for some stuff. Very cool. Well, it is uh, always great to have you back. We appreciate you sharing with us today. You know you're welcome here anytime, but uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks for being here today. Definitely. Good to see you, Brian. Yeah, Brian. It's my roommate there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Santana Dotson. Good job.